Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Today's program will go over the Seventh and Tenth Commandments of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, as found in the in-brief statement of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Catechism begins its presentation on these commandments of God by citing sacred scripture, You shall not steal, chapter 5, verse 19 of the book of Deuteronomy, from the Torah, the law, the books of Moses, pretty straightforward. Neither thieves, nor misers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 10. There's an ellipsis, which means there are other who will not inherit the kingdom of God. But as the Catechism is here presenting the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal, the others may receive focus in other passages on the Decalogue. It's good for us to remember that the word Decalogue comes from the Greek dekologos, ten words. So it's like shorthand. Not only are we not to steal, we are to be diligent in our labors for what is it that people steal? They steal our stuff. How do we get our stuff? We work hard for it. We are to be generous. With what are we generous? With our stuff. We give from the stuff we have to those in need. The seventh commandment prescribes the practice of justice, commands it, and charity in the management of earthly goods and of the fruits of the work of men. So to work an honest hour's labor for an honest hour's wage, this is justice and part of the seventh commandment of God, but so to charity, to give to those in need, charity and justice not opposed but complementary. How is it that we are to deal with our earthly goods? Here we have no lasting treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Where do we long to go? Where our Lord is on high. How will we get there? By serving him well in the here and now with what we have. Our strong backs, our strong minds, our good works united to his good work, the work of our salvation, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. The goods of creation are destined to the human race altogether. The right to private property is not abolished by the universal destination of goods. This passage of the Catechism of the Catholic Church highlights attention, not just one, universal destination of all goods, not just one, right to private property, but both together. Universal destination of all goods. God made the heavens and the earth and all that is therein for all therein. The right to private property. I worked. I plowed this field. I picked these potatoes. They're mine. Sweat equity. There's a tension there. They charge for air if you're going to go scuba diving because there's no universal right for everybody to be a scuba diver, I suppose, though we should have rights to be able to go to the sea. We have to pay for the air we breathe under the water. But as for the sunlight, or as for the air, it's here for all. The seventh commandment prohibits stealing. This seems like it should be obvious. But to spell it out, the catechism continues. Stealing is the usurpation, the taking, of the goods of another, against the reasonable will of the owner. Imagine during times of scarcity, I can remember hurricanes in South Florida, when a block of ice, which is normally 
not even a few dollars, would go for $20 since there was only so much ice to go around. And it would allow people's medicine to spoil if it weren't refrigerated. So this was gouging. Imagine if people would hoard all the bread in town and we would all starve. Is that the reasonable will of the owner that everybody in town starve or pay his exorbitant fee? Stealing is the usurpation of the goods of another against the reasonable will of the owner. It's not to say all owners always have reasonable wills. Two wrongs don't make a right, however. All manner of taking and of using unjustly the goods of another is contrary to the seventh commandment. The injustice committed demands reparation. Communitive justice demands the restitution of the stolen goods. Reparation is payback. We know of war reparations following different battles, different terrible wars. The aggressors often, if they've been defeated, have to make restitution to pay back uh, those whom they had attacked initially. Restitution of the stolen goods to give back what was taken. You stole my truck, you stole my shoes, give them back. That's restitution. Payback. We saw restitution on a larger scale with all the looting that the Nazis did during their terror in Europe, stealing beautiful pieces of art, which some are still lost, but so many have been returned in the spirit of restitution. The moral law prohibits acts which, for mercantile or totalitarian ends, lead human beings to slavery, bought and sold and exchanged like merchandise. This is one of the darkest chapters in our American history when we had slaves sold as if livestock. Good for us to remember, however, that it was not limited to our shores. Misery loves company. And so many of the slaves who were sold into slavery here had first been sold by their own peoples in their lands of origins for a price. Mother Church reminds us that this is improper, that this is sinful. It's a crime against God, a crime against our neighbor, a crime against the Seventh Commandment not to steal. So, in a similar vein, not to sell what should not be sold. Mercantile reasons, looking to make a profit. Totalitarian ends, way to control a population. Human beings are not merchandise, not property of the state, not even property of our parents. Each of us unique with inherent dignity. Our founding fathers recognized this in the Declaration of Independence, that all are created equal, endowed with inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The domination granted by the Creator over mineral, vegetable, and animal resources of the universe cannot be separated from respect of the obligations of morality, including towards generations to come. For lack of a better term, this passage could be called green. Yes, we acknowledge that there is dominion given by God over the material universe, mineral, vegetable, animal resources. Mineral, what we dig up out of the ground. Vegetable, the plants, the the 
greens, animal resources, <clears throat> to have a hamburger or a steak or chicken. However, unlike Wild Bill Hickok and some of his friends who would just happily do target practice in the wide open Wild West range, leaving carcasses to die in numbers beyond belief, this did not respect the obligations of morality, including towards generations to come. This is like environmentalism or preservation of plants and minerals and the whole package, not only caring for our needs, but also looking forward to a time when our children and our children's children might want to see what a buffalo looks like or what corn looks like. Animals are confided to the management of man who does so with good will. They, the animals, can serve to the just satisfaction the desire of men. So it's not a sin to be an equestrian to ride horses, the steeplechase, or to race. But if we remember Michael Vick, who would just shoot his dogs if they lost a fight to the death in a dog fighting ring or rooster fights, these are crimes against the creatures. One thing to manage the animals to make sure we have enough food to eat, dairy farms, what have you, but humane treatment. If you have friends or are a member of PETA, you might appreciate this passage. The church carries a judgment in matters that are economic and social when the fundamental rights of the person or the salvation of souls demands. She, Mother Church, cares for the temporal common good of men in light of their being ordered toward the sovereign good, God, our ultimate end. When Christ the Lord founded his church, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church, singular possessive. What you hold bound on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. It was in view of teaching with sureness, surety, in matters of faith and morals. And when we speak of the Decalogue, specifically the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal, we have a matter of morals. What does it mean to steal? So, economic matters are related to property, and the exchange of goods and services is the foundation of economics. Fundamental rights. Don't sell me into slavery. Don't let me buy your grandmother or your nephew into slavery. Fundamental rights of the person. And the salvation of souls, not just the souls of the entrepreneurs, of the bosses, but also those of the workers and those of consumers. Here we see it's not just the economy, as so often our focus is when we hear the State of the Union addresses. Yes, we are concerned about the temporal good, the here and now, but we also keep very much in mind that eternal good, our ultimate end, with God in heaven. Man himself is the author, the center, and the end of economic and social life. Here the word end is used as in goal, the why, what for, why do we engage in economics for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our families. Man himself is the author. Where is it coming from? 
Who's doing it? This man, that man, this woman, that woman. In the end, I do it. I am doing it. For me, I am doing it. The decisive point of social questions is that the good created by God for all, remember the universal destination of goods earlier, the good created by God for all, in fact, arrive to all, following justice to give each their due, and God has his due, and with the aid of charity. Charity which does not throw away justice, but goes beyond justice, leading into generosity. Generosity is a natural virtue. Charity is a supernatural theological virtue. Love for neighbor for God's sake. God loves us so much that he sent his son to save us, who laid down his life for us on Calvary's height, not only in justice paying the price of our debt, but in love, love beyond all measure, not holding anything back. This phrase, the social question, the decisive point of the social question, refers to a body of teaching found in the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, which kind of takes these passages from the Catechism of the Catholic Church's in brief statements on the seventh commandment to the next level. The social doctrine of the church, the social question. The fourth and seventh commandments are social commandments. Not only the nuclear family, father and mother, husband and wife, children, but also the family which is society, the state. Not only thou shalt not steal from me individually, but also from us corporately. And as we are concerned with the common good in the family, so too in the state or society. The primordial value of work has as its author and destination man. Who does it? Man does work. Why does man do it? for his own good, so I can support myself, so I can support my family, so I can reach out to those in need. Primordial, this is from the beginning. Work has a value. There are some who see work as a consequence of the fall, but it's important for us to remember that even before the fall, it was God who was working, and then on the seventh day rested. Was God punishing himself? No, not at all. And God made us to his image. Male and female, he made us to the divine image to be workers, homo faber, the Latin for working man, man who makes things. It's part of our very nature. It's a good thing. By our work, we participate in the work of creation. Here, in a sense, the catechism is echoing our Savior, Christ the Lord. The Father works and I work, and now we work by his grace, to his glory, and our own salvation. United to Christ, work can be redemptive. In 1975, St. Jose Maria Escriva died. He founded a group in the church called Opus Dei, which means the work of God. When asked by his disciples, what is the work of God? The Lord Jesus said to believe in the one whom he sent. The word liturgy means the public work. In the church's use of the word liturgy, the public work of the church is the worship of God. In the rule of St. Benedict, the work of God is to pray the liturgy of the hours, the divine office. But if you are a bus driver, or a garbage man, or a doctor, or a lawyer, or an Indian chief, whatever occupies your waking hours, this too, united to Christ, can be redemptive. St. Paul reminds us in the New Testament 
that we make up what lacks in the sufferings of Christ. This is not to say that Christ did not do enough on Good Friday to save us, but he never worked 9 to 5 in Knoxville until he works 9 to 5 in you. He never waited on these impatient or over-demanding customers until he waits on them in you. Let us be sure not to lose any of these moments to glorify God by our patience, by our diligence, by our love for neighbor and for himself, for our redemption and that of the whole world. True development is that of man entirely. We see this echoed so clearly in Pope Benedict XVI's third encyclical, Caritas and Veritate, which has that as one of its main themes. Not just physical development, not just mental development, but the whole person, the entirety of man. True development does this work of developing the man entirely in the capacities that each person is able to respond to his vocation, which is therefore the call of God. Any development which would shut God out of the equation is development in name only. It is a truncated development. For how can we glorify the creature by disregarding the creator? Religious development is one thing for us to know that there is a God. It's another thing for us to know that God is a trinity of persons. It's another thing for us to know that one of the trinity became like us to save us, that he founded his church to continue his mission until he should return in glory. This is religious development. Almsgiving to the poor is a witness of fraternal charity. It is also a practice of justice which pleases God. So not just two cents, but... We are to give 10% to God. That's the sacred tithe. And when we give to Catholic charities, 1%, maybe 9% goes to overhead, but the other 99 or 91% goes to help the needy poor. And that's a good thing. Practice of justice which pleases God, to help one who cannot work to eat. If one is not willing to work, one should not eat. The scripture is clear on that. But if one is not able to sustain oneself because of a bad back or poor health, the love of neighbor, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. These are criterias of the final judgment. In the multitude of human beings without bread, without roof, without place, can we not recognize Lazarus, the hungry beggar of the parable? See St. Luke chapter 17, verses 19 and 31. Can we not hear Jesus, you neglected to do it to me? St. Matthew, chapter 25, verse 45. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. The tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, reminds us that there is a good which neither moth nor thief can destroy. That is our heavenly good. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 21. The tenth commandment forbids avarice, which is to say greed, derelict cupidity, that's kind of like a grasping for everything in a bad way, born of Im the immoderate passion for riches and their power. It's not a sin to be rich, and it's not a sin to have power. But if we put riches before everything else, if we put power before everything else, remember, God is all-powerful. Remember, everything belongs to God, the heavens and the earth and all that is therein. If those things are first then we've displaced God from his rightful place, and God is first. God is generous. God is not grasping, but giving. 
He gives us being. He gives us life. He's given us grace and faith. He even gives us divine adoption in the saving waters of baptism. If we have riches, if we have power, let us use them to God's glory to help our neighbors. Envy is sorrow tested before the good or goods of another and the immodest desire to appropriate, to bring to oneself. It is a capital vice. Opposite this capital vice, capital sin, one of the seven deadly sins, envy, is the virtue of brotherly love. I'm happy for the good in your life. And we should be happy when we see our neighbors doing well. I'm so happy you have beautiful blue eyes. I'm so happy you have a full head of hair. I'm so happy you have a nice home. I'm so happy you have a beautiful family. I'm so happy that you are so clever. I'm so happy that you are diligent. Love for the good love for the brother who has good. Envy is a jealousy, and we see that again in the Lord of the Rings trilogy with that scary character Gollum Schmeagol, two personalities. My precious! He covets the ring. The baptized fight envy by goodwill, wishing the other well. Humility, God is greater. An abandonment to the providence of God. God is in charge, and God will take care. It's good for us to remember that God does use us, individual ones of us, and all of us together to help work out his providence in the here and now. Good for us to cooperate. There's a whole special book set aside called Abandonment to the Providence of God. I think it was Brother Lawrence who wrote that book. The faithful of Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and its covetousness, says St. Paul in the letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 24. They are led by the Spirit and follow his desires. So to the extent that we have been crucified with Christ, as Paul tells us, then we know that we shouldn't be coveting our neighbor's good. There's only one good. God is good. We're made to his image and we're made to do good. God's grace is his presence, his power in our lives. That's what we should long for. That's what we should desire. Life on high with him, no less. Detachment from riches is necessary to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor of heart. In our next session, we'll go over the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not bear false witness, and we'll look at the commandments of the church. While the Decalogue is common property to so many who look to the sacred scripture as a source for morality, the commandments of the church is proper in a very special way to people in communion with the Bishop of Rome, the Pope. So next time, we'll go over Thou shalt not bear false witnesses and any sins of speech and the commandments of the church. And then we'll have to do the Lord's Prayer and we'll have completed a brief summary in 10 hours or so on the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The four pillars, the creed, what we believe, what Christ came to reveal, how we pray in the sacraments, and how we live our lives, presented in the Beatitudes and the commandments of God, and how we are a people of prayer, related by the Lord's Prayer. All these things, given once for all the saints, entrusted to Christ's mystical bride, Mother Church, until he should return again in glory.
she has received from him the great commission. Go ye therefore, teach all nations all things whatsoever, and know that I am with you even until the end of the age. And while that's how Matthew ends his gospel, inspired by God, quoting our Lord before the ascension, St. John reminds us that the whole world could not contain everything that Jesus said or did. And this is where sacred tradition comes in. For if the whole world could not contain everything he said or did, there are other things he said and did than are recorded in sacred scripture. But these things have been written that we might know him and love him and serve him in this world so as to be happy with him forever in the next. May he strengthen our resolve, the Lord Jesus, by his death and resurrection. May he strengthen his grace within us, the Lord Jesus, through baptism and penance and Eucharist. May he strengthen us in holiness by the example of his saints, whose number we are called to belong to by his grace and mercy. If you know someone who has not yet come to Christ, invite them to church on Sunday. Have them join the community in prayer and faith, that we might all be one in Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Like us in all things, but sin to save us from our sins, and like the Father and the Spirit, for he is true God and true man. Be sure to allow your well-formed conscience, having heard the word of God, impact your daily living, the way you speak, the way you act, the way you work in society, the way you vote, the way you help encourage the social reality, the world in which we live. For the Lord will come to judge us, living and dead. He will say, Did you feed me when I was hungry? Did you clothe me when I was naked? Did you visit me when I was in prison or alone? And if we have, to the extent that we have, we will hear those blessed words, Good and faithful servant, come share your master's joy. Each January, for so many years now, since the travesty of the Supreme Court's decision, Roe v. Wade, believers have been able to bear witness to the truth and sanctity of human life, standing up for the truth, that's the Eighth Commandment, standing up for life, that's the Fifth Commandment, standing up for God in whose image we are all made, born and unborn. Here in Knoxville, we've been blessed with Bishop Sticka, just recently arrived last March, who bore witness with so many of his faithful, there were 300 or so, from around the 36 counties who came to pray with him, and 20 or so of his priests, standing up for life, for an end to abortion on demand in our fair city and state. May heaven hear our prayers and answer them. May sins against modesty and chastity and purity, which are so often the precursor to these crimes against God, likewise have an end. For if we're not 
catting around, then we will not go kill our unborn children. Until next time, know that you remain in my prayers, and may Almighty God bless you now and always. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.